0: Welcome to episode 516 with my guest Rich, a friend of mine from my support group. That's a pseudonym we're going to use for him. My name is Paul Gilmartin, and that, that is my actual name. That's thats not a pseudonym. And this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. It's a place for honesty about all the shit rattling around in our heads. It is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. more like a waiting room. That does not suck. The website for this show is metalpod.com. Metalpod, also the social media handles you can follow us at. Uh, I'm going to dive into some some surveys. Uh, this is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, What am I waiting for? Um, and she writes uh, about her anxiety. Oh no, I have to make a phone call. What if they pick up? That one made me laugh out loud. Oh my God, I know that feeling. It's so ridiculous, but it feels so real. I never imagine when I'm making a phone call that it's going to be something where I feel better after I hang up. (laughs) I also want to give a shout out to uh, two supporters of the show have been very generous Matt Altieri and Stephen Harris if you guys are listening thank you so much for your support through through Patreon um, about her compulsive eating she writes oh god I don't know how I'm going to answer this email I wonder what we have in the fridge about her OCD if the radio volume on my car isn't an even number I'm going to feel weird for the rest of the drive and about experiencing sexual bias. I'm going to the hardware store, and I'm prepared with comebacks to potential sexist BS before I even walk through the door. Thank you for those. Uh, These were filled out by TJ, and she writes about her anxiety. I feel like I'm the only person who enjoys my company. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, Pink Moon writes about her depression. Uh, She has MDD. Like gravity has become stronger and my body is being drawn to the middle of the earth. About her anxiety. Like the feeling you get in your throat before you burst out in tears but you can't cry. And about alcoholism and drug addiction. She writes, alcohol doesn't numb my emotions. It helps me feel them. That's such a profound one. And I, and I know, you know, being somebody who's in recovery from alcoholism and d- drug addiction, it used to be, you know, when I would have my first three beers and they hit a weed, I would sink into my recliner and I used to think, oh, this is how normal people feel. They can suddenly enjoy things. They can suddenly look at things positively. The bad news, at least for me, was the other 22 hours a day. And everything felt like an effort, even more than when I'm depressed in sobriety. Uh, But getting to feel without having to use drugs and alcohol is also really, really nice. It, It makes, for me, it's made life so much, it's given me a shot to experience joy and to experience peace. And it doesn't exacerbate the depression. Snapshot from her life. I'm somewhat new to therapy and I'm finding it very frustrating that I logically know what steps I need to take to start getting better, but I can't bring myself to do them due to fatigue and hopelessness. I feel like there's a constant battle between my logical brain and that other part of my brain that is intrusive and stupid. I've been having daydreams about randomly being shot in the back of the head or being kicked by a group of people while I lie on the ground in a heap, not in a sexual way, and it strangely gives me relief. Thank you for that. Fuck, it's amazing the way our brains come at us. This is filled out by Sophie. and She writes, uh, this is the Happy Moments survey. She writes, One moment happened a few weeks ago. My sister and I decided to go on a drive and listen to music. It was an overcast day, and I decided to pull into a parking lot adjacent to a park. Soon after, we got out and started dancing. No one was there, and the weather was perfect. At first, I was a little nervous about what people driving by might think, but I worked through those thoughts and slowly made my way to the middle of the parking lot and just danced. I've never felt as free and wholehearted as I did right then. Oh man, that's so beautiful and so foreign, so foreign to me. That must that must really feel awesome. Our sponsor for today, as always, is online therapy provider BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com. If you're interested in trying online therapy, uh, they are licensed in all 50 states. They have a ton of counselors that they can uh, choose from to uh, help you with whatever your your needs are. Just go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part. And if they have a counselor that they feel is a good fit for you, they will pair you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's a good fit for you. And uh, if you're not 18 or over, they will send you to teencounseling.com and you can fill out the paperwork to uh, get the ball rolling on that. One of uh, the podcasts that I like to recommend to people is the Jordan Harbinger Show. Uh, you were a guest on my podcast a couple of years back, and you're very open and honest about your workaholism. Also a funny guy and 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 fun to talk to. Uh, your podcast was chosen as one of Apple's favorites. That had to have been a nice feather in your cap.
1: That felt pretty good, yeah. I mean, it was the, like the most downloaded new shows or something like that or whatever the, the thing was. So it was like they didn't quite pick me. They just couldn't ignore the show any longer, <laughs> which I think is actually better.
0: <laughs> uh, I want to plug uh, an episode that you did. You got Amanda Knox as a guest. I'm sure uh, a lot of people know who she is, The, the woman that was accused of murder in Italy, and there was a whole back and forth thing.
1: She's great. She's really intelligent, and she is just so open about being falsely accused and thrown into an Italian prison for something like 1,400 days without being allowed to see her family and the false confessions and how the juries were swayed and how the investigation was bungled. It was really terrifying because you can think of sending your kid overseas or going overseas yourself and then some investigator gets a bug up his butt that says you're the one that did something horrible and then suddenly you are totally up shit's creek without a paddle and she's very, very, articulate and very very focused on blowing all of these false confessions wide open so she's got her own podcast now as well which is really interesting and I just think the whole idea of being coerced into wrongfully confessing something and then having to deal with the consequences of that in your 20s is just a case study in resilience Uh,
0: but it was offset by the fettuccine alfredo so you gotta factor that in
1: that's true yeah I I would imagine (laughs) What
0: what is the episode number of that one?
1: That's 386 of the Jordan Harbinger show. Uh, We'll put that in the uh, show notes. Thanks, buddy.
0: Thanks, man. And finally, this is an awful moment filled out by Brittany Jean. And she writes, standing in front of my wall of degrees, passionately giving mental health advice to a man that was formerly my dominant while holding a syringe full of meth. Every little
1: thing feels like the end of the world.
2: that shame in order to feel the pleasure. And I was being a dick to everybody. We are social beings. And the only way you're going to get it out is to
0: cry.
1: We need to be with people. I grab them by their throats and let them down to the floor and watch the breath leave their bodies. Well, Mason, thanks for coming
0: in. <laughs> <laughs> I am here with my buddy who we're going to call Rich, so uh, you can feel freer to... Speak about all the stuff that's going on in your life. Um, we've known each other about what ten years, maybe over ten years, probably closer to eleven.
2: Yeah, we're even in, twelve now.
0: Met in a support group that we go to for uh, intimacy struggles among among other things. Um, but I wanted to I've wanted to have you on the podcast for uh, a while because you and I. Uh have a friendship and a relationship where we tell each other everything and we go to each other for advice and strength. And you just got out of a relationship that uh, was tumultuous
2: to, to say the least. Yeah, it's been – this is the perfect time to do a podcast, quite frankly, because yeah. I have been cold clocked. As far as I'm concerned, as far as you're concerned, you probably saw this coming because, because you, you know, you're one of my closest confidants. And the reason I love our relationship is not only do you know me intimately, not only do you give me great advice with a lot of hope, you also tell it to me straight and you have one of the best sense of humor of anybody I've ever met. There's nothing off limits in our sense of humor, but it's based in sort of love, support, and fellowship. And so, you know, whatever we say, however outrageous our humor is, and however painful things may become for either me or you, we can laugh about it. And that's one of the great joys of adult life, you know, to have a friendship like that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I think everybody needs people in their
0: corner that are willing to tell them the 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 truth in a way that is loving and uh, diplomatic and where there isn't any kind of controlling going on but you also have to say hey man this is hard to watch and, and it was hard to watch this relationship that you were in let 's start for start well let 's talk about actually where you were raised and all that kind of stuff you were you were raised uh, in the u k
2: and how would you describe your childhood? Well, I was raised in a a, a town in England that is known for its music Mm -hmm. and specifically four men in the 60s who created (laughs) incredible music. I think I've given it away right now. Anybody that knows me will know uh, where where I'm talking about. And, you know, my my family originally sort of immigrants from Russia. They came over here in about 1919. And uh, I don't know whether this is a good story to tell. It sort of – in a way, it sort of maligns them. Um, They were – They were run out of Russia by the Tsar of Russia, and they thought they were on a boat going to New York. I mean, you wouldn't know. You're from Russia. It's from Shtetl in the middle of nowhere. And the captain says, you've arrived in Russia. They get off the boat. They take their stuff, and they're wandering around the city for about an hour. And then they slowly realize this is not Russia, and it's Liverpool. And yeah. they go back. You mean you, this is not uh, New York? Sorry, this is not New York. I right. So they, they suddenly realize this is yes. not New York. Right. This is Liverpool. So they go back to get on the boat, and the boat's gone. So that's how my family, not the brightest, wow. um, ended up I in – I how would they have, have known, though? You know, you can't – it's – there's no That's, way you would know. It, it was yes. a lot cheaper, apparently, to drop him off in Liverpool, which was another poor town that it was, Russia. Yeah. Um, so I don't like to malign my family other than to say this one other thing. My uncle was offered the opportunity to manage the Beatles, and he turned it down. So I'm starting to see a pattern here. <laughs> so any issues I have, I wholeheartedly blame on them. So but you know so basically my family were immigrants you know sort of uh, my great grandparents my grandparents and so there was an adjustment period and i think growing up um you know my parents both from working class families because they didn't have any opportunities and they tried to do the best for us that they could and they did a great job. But what was missing is that really beautiful, warm, loving family. They were basically in survival mode. And so thank God growing up in that town, You know, it's part of the reason you and I connect. I had the best friendships. And so my friends were basically my confidants, my therapists, my support system, my parents. So even though uh, – but they obviously weren't fully equipped because they weren't adults. So, you know, in my head, it was a great childhood. Because you felt you couldn't go to your parents for emotional – uh, support. I once went to my mother for emotional support, and I love the woman, top to bottom, you know, incredible human being. I know she's doing the best she can, and she, ha- she brings so much to the table, raises, looked after us. But when I would go to her, there is – I would ask her for some emotional support around something, and – you know, more often than not, she would just change the subject. And it was sort of infuriating as a child because you want to share what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then I came to realize as an adult that it's just uncomfortable for her. So um, I know she's doing the best she can. So, yeah, I would go to my friends and they gave me – they were so – I'm so grateful to my best friends growing up because yeah. they – and to this day, you know, sort of my friends are an incredible support system. And and your father was kind of a passive figure, my father when my father i'll give you i'll give you an example of how my father when he died 500 people turned up at his funeral that's how beloved he was in this town. He never said a bad word about anybody. He never lost his temper. He was—he was—you know—he was an incredible human being. Sometimes, at his, at the cost of his own uh, sanity mm-hmm. and his own, um, his own well-being. So, would it be fair to say that he endured
0: a lot of uh, shit from your mom?
2: Well, you know, I I think it was this. I think it's fair to say that my mother ruled the roost and my father used to say, and it's probably, you know, sort of created problems for me in relationships, definitively created problems. My father used to say, you know, happy wife, happy life. And I and I joked at my sister's wedding. Uh, I was giving advice to the man who was marrying my sister and I said, you know, to my brother-in-law, you know, I asked for some advice from my father. They've been married for 30, 40 years and, you know, the advice he said he wants to pass along is compromise, your values, your beliefs ever being right. So, <laughs> he he realized that um he he was conflict averse. And he realized the way to uh, a functional relationship was never to uh, assert his opinion if my mother felt differently. And what do you think of that? Uh, it's problematic. It's problematic. And it's one of the things sort of I've struggled with. And it's amazing how, you know, you can have success in other areas of your life. But I, I realized as sort of a young adult and then – into my thirties and forties that I was basically following that mindset and I would compromise my, compromise, you know, sometimes my beliefs because I wanted to avoid conflict. And even now, you know, in this last relationship, we don't have to get there now, but you know, there were things that I compromised on, even when you and I had conversations that to you, we, you don't compromise on this, that, you know, this is, this is just unfair. And it's also uh dangerous. And I somehow have the ability, my brain does sort of, you know, intellectual backflips to be able to see the other person's position. And they go, Oh, they've got a point. And really, what that does is, you know, I've started to see creates a lack of intimacy, because I'm denying who I am, I'm denied a voice, and really, it's it prevents any kind of vulnerability. Okay. And so now, knowing that, I can see that pattern consistently in all relationships. And still, you know, uh, now in my fifth decade, it's it's difficult for me to state uh, my truth. And so it's you know, with your help uh, and support as a friend, you know, I'm I'm learning to do that.
0: When. Did intimacy issues become a problem for you? And what brought you to
2: the point where you thought, uh, I got to get some help? Well, I was 39 years old and I had, you know, this is... It's laughable now that you think about it. But, you know, I like to, I think it's best to laugh at yourself because really, you know, I'm doing the best I can given the circumstances I have. And, you know, I'm just playing this hand to the best of my ability. And so I was 39 years old. I'd gone to see a psychiatrist and I met a woman who was the receptionist in the psychiatrist's office. She was 25. And somehow in my brain, I know this seems absurd, I thought that was a good idea. I was like, if she. And read my chart, and she still loves me, then therefore, <laughs> I must be lovable that that literally made sense to me that's okay. how that 's how out of it or deluded yes. I was and and then I realized you know I, I had a pattern in relationships. It would be hot and heavy for the first two to three months. I was obsessed with these people, these women intellectually, physically, and then literally my libido desire for them would fall off a cliff and and they would want to end it or i would want to end it or i would start doing things you know sort of cheating uh, as a way to sort of upend the relationship either consciously or unconsciously and so this woman uh basically broke it off after three months and i was devastated and i made a play as i always did to get the person back Mm -hmm. and she gave me another shot And same thing happened three months later. And this time, she would not take me back. And I did. I gave it the old college try. I think I got an engagement ring that I stuffed in a closet from another disastrous relationship. And I got it out and I presented it.
0: You have a specific closet just for uh, engagement rings. And you have a little guy in there that changes the sizes of them.
2: All I will say this, Paul, who doesn't? If you don't have one, it's an advisable thing. You never know when you're going to need to pull that guy out and the yes. ring to measure the finger. Yeah, and he's called a disaster jewel, jeweler. <laughs> he's, yeah, he is the disaster artist, the disaster jeweler. That's yes. that's the perfect name for him. So I realized this was a pattern, and she, thank God this woman would not have me back. And that was when I realized the problem Was me. I was the common denominator, not the women. And I was talking to a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours. And he's like, listen, you can complain about the relationship and be upset and blame her. But maybe you want to look at your patterns. Maybe that's a different way to go. And coming from England, you know, that was a shift in perspective, but it was the greatest gift, most painful thing I've ever done, but the greatest gift I ever gave myself.
0: I'm so glad you did. And as you were saying that, I was just thinking how many people live a lifetime of never seeing themselves as the common denominator, but solely see themselves as the victim in a relationship. And that doesn't mean there aren't things where they are being, you know, mistreated in a relationship. But ultimately, you're the one that chooses to see them and
2: to continue to to see them. I'm not. I totally agree. And here's the truth: I don't think I'm martyr. I don't think I'm special. I don't think I'm strong. The truth is, I was just in that much pain, and you know, I always believe, certainly for myself, I'm going to talk for myself, that pain is a great motivator. I tried everything else. I tried analysis. Seven years, three times a week, I like to say, you know, I bought that nice lady a beautiful place in Malibu <laughs> that I'll never get to use. You know, I tried medication and so I was willing to try this. Uh, not because, again, because I'm a, you know, an enlightened human being, precisely because I was in such abject pain. And I got to tell you, going through this breakup now, it has so helped me this one particular tool not focusing on what the other person did but focusing on you know my role in this and that is like a pain reliever for multiple reasons one is i feel empowered i'm like oh this person's doing the best she can to the best of her abilities you know and so i can't critique her and i can't change her i can barely change myself when i look at my role Therefore, I can have some control over my life because I can change my actions. And really, that's the process of consciousness. So to speak to your point, to me, it would be a tragedy to get to the end of your life. And first of all, to have to live with that constant pain of uh, lack of self-examination, not learning any lessons. You know, they say it like any business that doesn't do a a sort of an assessment of the, the Inventory. Inventory. Thank you then, you know, it's going to be a pretty uh, – ultimately, the business is going to fail if you don't right. know what you've got in the back office and what you're spending it on. So it's just the greatest gift, you know, I ever was willing to give myself because I was in enough pain to accept it. So let's talk about
0: this uh, relationship. Um, and, and I kind of want to focus on this one because it it has all the elements that have baffled and confounded you uh and there's so much to unpack in this one because she's clearly a very complex and in my opinion troubled Mm -hmm. person um and I and I hope we don't come across as de- demonizing her. No. I don't think we have, but uh let's – how did you meet her, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I
2: th- well yeah, I don't want to demonize her at all because I know given this person's background, she's doing an incredible job mm. of living given the burden she's been – that's been placed on her. You know, I mean, I'm going to talk about how I met her. I met her on a dating site, one of those dating apps that I'm still on the fence about, but – I'll say this going in, and this is how, you know, this is why I need great friendships. This is why I have a blind spot in this era. I need to sort of run things by people that know me well because I just do not see it when it's crystal clear in front of me. And going into this relationship and I really worked hard to get to this place, I was in a great place in my life. You know, I, you know, I like to joke that I love myself. I really do. I love myself, you know, and they say before you can love anybody else, you gotta love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I joke that. I, I took myself out on a date last week and I took myself out for dinner and I couldn't keep my hands off of myself, which is crazy because <laughs> I'm not even my type. So I really did genuinely love myself. Yeah. And so I was looking for somebody who was sort of enlightened, happy, generous, kind, loving. And I met this woman on the side. And Would, would you also
0: say an important thing was you wanted somebody who excited you, who, who uh,
2: energized you? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for digging a little deeper and scratching the surface because, yeah, there was instant chemistry and I'm very knowing what I know now. I'm afraid of chemistry when the chemistry is off the charts, then my uh, sort of unconscious or conscious assessment d- uh, uh, usually becomes diminished. And mm-hmm. we spent the first date. I'm very clear when I go out and date I really I, you know I'm looking for, I would like to meet somebody who complements my life mm-hmm. who I can show up as a real partner with mm-hmm. and I, it's not about being physical obviously there has to be some physical attraction but it's more about them as a human being and one of the things that excites me is somebody who's got to, you know it's part of the reason we're friends has a great sense of humor no matter what the topic we can always find sort of mm-hmm. the comedy and have a good laugh and we spend which really was not healthy now that I think about it. Basically six hours talking on, on the couch. And it was one of my favorite conversations because it was philosophical. It was silly. It was vulnerable. Um, it was intellectual and it was all those things mixed. You know, it's probably like, you know, when you have a, your favorite show, it's all those things mixed yep. into one. You don't want it to end. You don't want it to end. And, um, we didn't – we weren't physical at all. I was sort of determined even though I shouldn't really spend six hours on a first date um mm-hmm. getting to know somebody. As good as it is, it's better. Yes. I've learned for me that it's be- better to be measured, but we did. And we – she stayed over that night. I slept on the couch. And then very quickly, um because we would bonded in that way – my ability. She she slept over on the couch at your invitation or did she ask you if she could spend the night? Well, it was late and she had had a little to drink. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to know I'll sleep on the couch if you want to stay or I'll buy you an Uber home. And so I actually slept on the couch I and you. she slept. She slept in the the bedroom. And. You know, I tried to, I tried to stay conscious as much as I could and not get overly excited because I know then that can create blind spots. And, but I got a really beautiful vibe off this person. Meaning, I know that sounds so a beautiful vibe. Meaning I had Mm -hmm. a good, that she was a good person and she meant well and she was a good place in her life. And we'd had a couple of conversations on the phone before that. So this was just sort of physical in-person validation that, you know, we're going to get to know each other. And I remember I said to her that night, you're my soul sister and meaning that you know i felt like i'd met a like-minded individual and you know how it is it's exciting mm. to meet yeah. somebody like that but also it's important to be measured yeah measured yeah. i think that's an under
0: <laughs> an understatement on on your first date and i would say especially for people like you and me who have a history of intimacy struggles and boundaries and being measured and um knowing the difference between getting close to someone and trauma bonding
2: yes i mean the wa- i mean in fairness to this individual um she shared a lot on that date and on the previous phone calls. And quite frankly, now that I think about it, it was probably too much. It was too soon to share really deep trauma, either on the phone, on a first person date. And now that I have a little bit of perspective, I can see why, because it was important to her that her trauma, which was sexual abuse in childhood, was, um, was accepted mm-hmm. and her struggles around that were accepted. And, you know, I know enough to ask, you know, is she dealing with it? Has she dealt it? Does she feel like it's an impediment? Does she feel like the things that, uh, you know, sort of the, I mean, it's it's tragic and it's horrific. Um, but she, you know, she said she'd done a lot of work about it. And of course, I was more than willing to accept that. And the truth is, this is why it's important to take things in a measured way. You want to believe what you see i think you want to tr- you want to you want to judge people by their behavior not necessarily what by they say the words
0: yeah and there was a big big difference as your relationship went on with her between her words and and her actions and that was hard as a friend to watch to try to keep bringing your focus back to the way she was behaving rather than just what it was that that, that she was saying um and and i have to say uh, you know, from her perspective, uh, me being a, a childhood sexual abuse survivor, uh, there was, you know, my most recent, uh, the r- relationship, the one I'm in now, which is great. There was a part of me that early on wanted her to know all of me because I was afraid that it, I was ugly inside and broken and that i wasn't lovable that i was damaged goods and i i think to the, the person who is the survivor we want to get that uh that information out so if they're going to leave they they leave at the beginning rather than before we're in too deep and it's too painful so there is both a fear mm-hmm. of sharing that stuff um but also a a bit of an urgency because we want to be known we want to be accepted for who we are we want to be able to feel authentic in our relationship and not feel like the other shoe is going to drop if they really get to get to know us and and probably more than anything is We have a fear that we don't know who we are, Mm. that that we don't trust our own integrity, that, you know, when you grow up and the parent who is supposed to protect you is the parent that takes advantage of you, it is really hard to gauge where the truth is in anything. Mm. Because if you can be fooled by that, by thinking that that was love –
2: where the fuck is the truth in in anything so somebody who was you know sort of a caregiver who proclaims to love you and right. somehow has twisted that yeah. to take advantage of you yes. it becomes very it it, bec- it's, it becomes murky and it and it prevents you very from confusing. really seeing seeing clearly you know people's intentions at time but what but what's an appropriate i mean the truth is I want to say I don't care. Meaning, it's who you are today. I you know. Exactly. I don't. I literally don't care. Like she wanted to talk a lot about her past, her past relationships, her history. You know, I want to get to know the person. That's important to me intimately. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to have a deep relationship, but I I, what I care most about is how you are in today, and specifically in relation to me. Mm -hmm. So sharing that. You know, I was glad she told me and I felt honored that she was vulnerable enough and safe enough to share that. But ultimately, again, I know because I've done work on myself and been involved mm-hmm. in those groups that it takes time to get to know somebody. It does. It does. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
0: And and it's also a red flag if there's just this, you know, um, intensity in the beginning yes. Because it's usually the sign that some void in one or both people is attempting to be filled by another human being, which is not the recipe for uh, longevity, because we need to, as corny as it sounds, and you know this, we need to fill that void ourselves. Absolutely. Then then we're not
2: looking for someone to complete us. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, I, was in a, I didn't need her to complete me. I had a great life. I found a way to uh, enjoy uh, and to be happy without a partner. In fact, one of the greatest gifts I ever got from a mentor of mine, he encouraged me and uh, challenged me to take a year off from dating and working because he realized that those two things were the way I got validation. And so if I took away the dating and I took away the working and the validation and the uh, the external validation I got from those things, and I could still feel happy, and I found a way to find happiness without that, then I'd be really well set up for this next chapter. Yes. And quite frankly, I could choose to be in a relationship with right. somebody rather than be desperate, as you just right. said, to fill that hole in me.
0: Yeah, because there's when you take time off from the things that you are using to numb your feelings, you can't avoid yourself.
2: Yeah, you're really faced with who you, you are. You are
0: faced with who you are and what you're feeling. I mean, yeah, you could find another thing, you could get into video games or, you know, obsessively exercising or whatever, but it it's it is a it is a great especially not dating for a year or so is a great way to find out what's really going on
2: inside you. I would advise anybody to do it if they've got the time, the resources, because it was it was it was life it was sh- it was shifted my whole perspective on everything sorry go ahead yeah, I, well, how about people
0: in their hundreds should they take
2: a year off they should probably take about 10 10 years yes because if they haven't done it to that point they deserve a rest especially if you're 100 that's true and then then 110 or 111 get your fuck on get your (laughs) fuck on that's a perfect time to start dating yeah actually I'm there's there's a woman who's 111 that I've been communicating with not healthy getting out of a breakup Mm -hmm. but she's ready and what website did you guys meet on 111 female dating (laughs) dot com I can't believe that name wasn't taken by somebody else
0: (laughs) Uh, so back to the, the relationship. Um, pretty, pretty hot and heavy up, up front, pretty intense. Yeah. But I know
2: better, meaning I put the brakes on, you know, this. I I know better than to jump right in, and I, you know, I didn't make plans the next day that weekend. You know, I waited about a week before we saw each other, Mm -hmm. and again, it wasn't it wasn't a date that ended her coming back to my house. And how and how about the communications in between? Was there a lot of texting, a lot of phone calls? I really know better because you know I surprised myself. Was that a yes or a no? Um. From her, there was a lot of communication. For me, there wasn't. I just okay. sort of – I kept it to the facts. You know, do you want to go out again? Mm-hmm. Uh, when can I pick you up? I kept it to those details because I used to pride myself on being so funny, or at least so I thought, <laughs> over text. And then I'd get attached to people. And then I, it turned out to be a total waste of time. And also, it got me attached to them without knowing them. Right. So I really tried to withhold from that and the you know the second date and, and was she giving you a hard time for not being as interested in texting as she no, was no okay. she wasn't but but it was i remember i was with a a friend you know after the third date and she sent me a picture of uh wearing a sweater that i'd you know given her because we'd gone out somewhere and she was cold and she's like i love this sweater because it smells of you and you know while I'm flattered, I was also a little concerned because this is your third date. Because it's my third date, and why didn't you say it on the first date? <laughs> you know, my ego needs it right off the bat. So, you know, she's lucky she even got a fourth. Were you were you genuinely concerned that, that when she sent that? Yeah, I. I mean, here's the truth: is I was genuinely, I was concerned, and I was like, oh, I see. You know, I always get scared when. I don't know if you feel the same way. When somebody puts you on a pedestal, mm-hmm. because you know uh, somebody's either delusion, illusion, or fantasy about who I am is I'm never going to live up to right. that. It's going to be popped, and what is that day going to look like? Well, it looks like the day we broke up. <laughs> it looks, <laughs> and it's and it's not pretty. Yeah, um, but yeah, I know that's going to happen, and I get that people get excited, but I also know it takes time to let that stuff unfold but how do you say that to somebody I mean I I actually did I want to take it slow I did I said I really want to get to know you it's not about but how do you say you know when somebody's saying beautiful effusive things you know you just sort of do you laugh it off do you sort of I, I tried not to do you say please don't say I actually did say to her quite mm. frankly you know I'm human. I'm not a, I'm not a knight in shining armor. I'm not the answer to anything. You know, re- I actually, I, this, I, this I laid out on the first date and mm. a lot of people think this is anti-romantic or the antithesis of being romantic. I said, I've come to realize that relationships are not what I thought they were. I used to think it was romantic walks on the beach, philosophical conversations, lovemaking all weekends and a lot of laughter. While that's part of a relationship, truly I've come to realize it's a tremendous amount of work mm-hmm. to do it well and to show up. And really I was taught my only role in a relationship is to show up and be of service, which is predicated on the idea that I have taken care of myself first. Right. So, and hopefully you're in a relationship with somebody else who believes that. So um I say that right up front. And again, you know, people will agree, especially if Mm -hmm. they are uh they like you or they're excited about you. And you know, I've done the same thing where I've agreed with somebody's relationship philosophy because I was like, you know, because I want to be in a relationship with this person. But the other shift I made is is I used to go on dates and if you you know, you experienced the same thing, and I would say things that I felt the other person wanted to hear, primarily because I wanted to be in a relationship with them, or I wanted to see them undressed, and I started to realize that was a really bad strategy because it would get me what I thought I wanted, but right. didn't get me what I needed because I really wasn't showing who I am. Right. So it's not going to get you intimacy. It'll it may get you uh,
0: laid, but then there's also that shame afterwards that that you weren't straight with somebody.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean that you use them. Yeah, manipulated them. Yeah. Let's call it what it is, you right. know? So I think it's really important. And that, and by the way, you know, either intuitively, unconsciously, consciously, this person, you know, seemed to, um, accept me totally for who I am. And I'm, you know, I like myself as a mm-hmm. human. I do. I, you know, I, I think I'm a good person. I show up. I'm a good friend. Mm-hmm. You know, I have stuff to work on. I'm honest about that. I, I fumble like all of us, but I like who I am. And to, to, to meet somebody who, accepts your silliness and you know your and loves your thoughtfulness as well and everything in between is a really powerful elixir and quite frankly it's showing me that I have something to work on in that area because, you know, I was like, oh, this person really just lets me be who I am or certainly did initially. What do you mean it it, it shows you that you need to work on something in that area? Because you were surprised by it? No, because why is that so powerful to me? Why, why, why was I so seduced by somebody who seems to accept me for who I am in totality? I think that's human,
0: dude. I think that's human. And I think the instinct to want that is good. I think that, I think the degree to which we want to hear it and the things we
2: will do to continue hearing it is the, is the issue. But you know, yes, I agree. So, but that feeling, and I think you'll agree, of being seen is so powerful. I think we all have it. I think I think it is probably at the core
0: of every every human being, um, it, at least at first in our lives as kids. And then for a lot of us, something may happen where we don't want to be seen ever, or we want to control how we're seen, or whatever you know, ways we, we wind up coping to deal with that part of us that wants to be accepted. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a really, really human and I think beautiful instinct that, that we have, but it's so easy for that to become warped or
2: Yeah, I mean, yes, for it it to become... A vacuum. (laughs) A a vacuum, and also for you to chase that. You know, it's very empowering uh, when somebody recognizes who you are Mm -hmm. and embraces that in totality, for better or worse. And so I... I, I realize that's sort of a weak spot. Now, getting just a little bit of perspective, it's only been a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, less than since yeah. you broke up. Yes. Yeah. So I'm still sort of a, I'm still looking at like, oh, where did this start? Where 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 did I start to become unconscious and let things slide and not share that with my friends? And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, I you know I I've told you a lot, but you know my other friends when I because when it was so sudden, the the end of the relationship. When I told them some of the other things that had happened, they're like, "Well, why didn't you tell us?" And I was like, "Oh, I didn't think it was a big deal." <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Or do you think subconsciously you
0: felt like you might be telling on yourself?
2: Well, I you know I'll admit this that it's it's again it was like to be. Across from a person that you respected intellectually, emotionally, the work they'd done, how they were vulnerable about their lives, and then to have them really reflect back at you that they see you and mm-hmm. they understand you and they respect you is is a is a it's an amazing and powerful It's an amazing, but the truth is, one of the things that that year off taught me is I don't need that from an another other, another individual. Doesn't mean it's not nice to hear or feel. Yes. But I'm still. I guess I'm still susceptible to that, right? And that sort of scares me because it blinded me to a lot of other behaviors and actions and words that were the antithesis of that. Let's get into that. What was what
0: was the first thing you remember thinking? Is that a red flag, or am I at Shakey's Pizza? (laughs)
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the first thing was um, we we met, and then. Uh, two weeks later, she wanted to have all her friends over to my house, and for me to meet them and have a dinner party. And my gut was. How long after you met? A couple of weeks. I probably didn't tell you that. See, that's that's yeah. that's how unconscious. Because I know that my close friends would say, "Well, wait a sec." And I, I, you know, I really do. I, I have a good gut. One of the things I've developed over the last eleven years is to trust my gut, and my gut was. It's probably not. It's way too soon. You know, first of all, I want to meet her friends, but mm-hmm. not yet. I barely know her. And you know what I do sometimes? I imagine
0: myself sharing what I'm thinking in our support group and the reaction it would get. Probably get a hell of laughter. Yes. I think if you had shared that in a in a meeting, it, people would have out of recognition of that. Yes. In themselves, we, we there would have been uh, a lot of laughter and nodding of heads.
2: Yeah, this 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 would have you know they talk in comedy like you know when a joke works it killed this people would be on the floor if I'd go. Yes. Do you think it's a good idea to have all her friends over for a, a dinner party at my house? At my house. Yeah. And um, yeah. So that's that's when I first started to, and then it was. I, she wanted to meet her mother, which I have her over for dinner. And I was like, you know, I put the. I realized the dinner party was not healthy for me. It was just too soon, too many people. Uh, I don't have enough of us uh, foundation, obviously, in a relationship right. with her. And then to have a mother over, it just. And, Really, this, you know, she was ready to move right in. How did she react when you said it's a little too soon for us to do that I, she, or for me to do that? She was, I could see there was a slight disappointment, but she right. sort of accepted. I said, I'm happy to go out for dinner with your mother, but I think it's too soon to have her come over. Yeah. Um And I, you know, I want to get to know her because also it's stressful for me when people are in your house and you're hosting and it's the yeah. first time you're meeting them. and." And then there were also overtures to spend the weekend with her father. Wanted me to meet him, and they have a sort of a fraught relationship. And I sort of put a boundary on that as well. So I did. I did sort of set some bound. I started to set some boundaries, which at the beginning she respected. Right. Um, but as time went on, I started to see that the boundaries um, were, were being respected less and less. Less and less, and. You know, one of the biggest ones was – it was probably – I don't even know if I told you this. It was – A lot of shit's coming to light with a microphone in front of you. Oh, my God. This is the way we should always communicate. (laughs) We should. You with headphones on in front of a MacBook Pro and me sitting in front of a microphone – on a stand. So, um, we, about four weeks into the relationship, she decided to take a trip to, doesn't matter where she went, she took a trip. This uh, is the in, camping in the trip. State. Yes. Yes, this. I remember this is when I entered into the knowledge of what was going on in, in your relationship. Oh, this was, yeah, this was yes. a camping trip first. There's a bigger one, but the camping trip was I, because I, you know, I tried to be a nice person. as was a camping trip. She was doing some work, and she had a lot of material. So I said, "Why don't you take my car?" And she told me she'd be back at, you know, five o'clock on Friday. And I just didn't hear from her. I didn't she didn't say she was running late. She just basically disappeared and she didn't
0: ask to take your car you offered
2: i think i think i offered i was like oh okay. you have got a lot of material why don't you take my car i don't need it i'm going to be working from home writing it's mm-hmm. it's covid i'm desperate to fill a hole inside of me please here's my key <laughs> <laughs> and here's my credit cards and my bank account no i didn't yeah. say that not that early on that that yes. comes later we've yes. got to do the story <laughs> in in the in the right in the right order here. Yes. So, yeah, so that was the first sign. No apology, no recognition. So, I was like, "You know what? She just come off a camping trip. She was being of service." So, I was like, "I'll let it I'll let it slide." She was being of service to who? Well, she told me she wasn't making a lot of money. Really, she was going there as a service opportunity to other people who were working through issues, and that was the the purpose of this trip. Right, so that was that was one, and then the second thing. Then about I say, like I like how you justify that though. Of that's what the she's
0: doing for other people. Lets her off the hook for even thanking
2: you for giving, letting you take your car. Yeah, it's sort of I I mean, mean, they're so unrelated. I know, but it's like the only way that I can, you know, I have to do mental gymnastics to justify why somebody is acting that way. Right. And I was like, oh, she's so consumed by that. Cause I didn't want right. to see the reality. Right. And I do remember, I don't even know if I told you this, that I do remember that she never said thank you when we'd go out. Oh, not I remember,
0: talking. I remember you telling me that. And I just remember thinking, oh boy,
2: here we go. And yeah, it's like, and I, so, and this is, this is growth for me, believe it or not, you know, the British were kind of meek, um, mm-hmm. emotions are a thing. I do not even know what they are until I came to this country. You know, mm-hmm. the weather's an easy subject to talk about. And I did say something. I was like, you know, I'm not looking for flowers. I'm not looking for a big gesture, but you know, sort of, if we go somewhere, just sort of an acknowledgement, it just makes, it just makes me feel like, um, I'm, I'm seen a little bit right. or that I've, you know, I've made a gesture. That's all. I, right. I mean, I, it's, but to it's me, it's basic manners. It's, right. it's yeah, it's, yes. it's appreciated and not, you're not entitled to it because there's right. nothing more of a turn off for me. And so it was at odds with the way she was in the rest of her life or the way she talked, being thankful and grateful and mm-hmm. spiritual and all those things. So, so then about, <laughs> then about six weeks in, uh, she booked a trip to go out of town for 10 days with a girlfriend which was great, you know, great. I want you to enjoy Mm -hmm. your life. I, you know, support whatever it is you do, your spiritual growth, you know, things that excite you and motivate you passionate about. And the day before the trip, she told me a guy was going with. And she's like, oh, there's no sexual relationship there. This guy is uh, sort of a mentor of mine. And I thought it was odd, but Mm -hmm. I sort of checked in with my gut. And the gut was, I'm not going to change her. By saying something, It's, it's only going to upset her. So I literally have to accept it because that's who she is. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it was too early for me to take a stand. So it was the three of them, two girls and a guy going on this trip. And when at the end of the trip, she asked me to pick her and her friends up from the airport, which I was happy to do. And as we were dropping her friend off, there was a, she gave him a hug that i 've only ever seen this hug in like a Casablanca or gone with the wind. I mean it was as if this guy <laughs> was her long lost lover melted into him, and again i didn 't know sort of the context here. It was like for for two minutes straight, mm. just completely enveloped by this guy, and was there a penetration? Um, there was for me, but <laughs> <laughs> is that wrong? <laughs> I should have run that by you first, and I did wear protection. But it was was just odd is what I'm saying. It was odd to say the least. And when I said something, the reaction I got was volcanic. And it basically – she said I need a man who's so secure in his masculinity and himself that he can understand that I have physical relationships with other men, not sexual, that my community – is very um yeah very physical i sit on guys laps we hold hands we're you know a community but Mm -hmm. there's nothing going on so if you don't feel like you can be that guy then this is not the right relationship for me and so she basically told me that Mm -hmm. my feelings didn't matter i I wouldn't do the same thing but i said again i checked in with my this is where the And the, and what was her tone of voice because you know it
0: Looking at it from her perspective, yeah, some people are more open with their physical affection with, with platonic friendships than other people are. And what's a more important sign to me than that is the way that she comes to the table to discuss that. If there's hostility. And defensiveness in her, that to me is more telling about the toxicity in the relationship than the way that she hugs another person.
2: You know, that to me is the, is the real red flag. There was huge hostility. Yeah. And so we decided, you know, this happened on the way home from the airport in the car. We decided not to say anything because we were both emotionally triggered and you mm-hmm. don't want to say anything when you're in an emotional state. And so we got home to my house and I said, I need a moment just to think about the best way for me to uh, move forward here. Mm-hmm. So I went and I prayed and I meditated and I did. I started to look at my why was I triggered? And the truth was, I was tired. You'd actually adv- advise me not to pick up her friends at the airport because I, one, I was concerned about Corona being in a car with people I didn't know. And two, you know, it was too soon to be picking up friends I hadn't even met from a woman I barely knew. But, you know, the people pleaser in me ignored that advice. And, of course, as is always the case, when you try to people please, it blows up big time. Mm -hmm. And so I took some time away. I meditated. I was like, my role was I didn't sleep great the night before. I'm extra sensitive. And so I made – because, again, like my father, I wanted to be a peacemaker. And I said, listen, my role in this is I – Never wanted to pick your friends up. I should have said something. I was anxious because you were coming home, and i didn't sleep great the night before, so i 'm extra sensitive so I apologize if your um, you know if, if our interaction has been less than perfect, and I thought I would get a softness, and I got the opposite. basically, this lovely woman <laughs> that I continue to date and it says more about me than it does about her. The more I say this, I realize God, it says so much about me said. In, in terms of our relationship, it became – she was like – took on a position of power. It was – she was, I am taking – when dating you, these were the exact words. You're going to be horrified by this. I am taking on a huge burden dating you. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> oh, my God. You never told me that.
2: I want to repeat those words. I am taking on a huge burden burden dating you you don't understand you're dating somebody who's on a mission on this planet and i cannot have anyone or anything hold me back and i need you to deal with this your insecurity around this area and make sure this never happens again do you understand me and i was i was in shock and Here's this woman that has been sweet as pie from, to me for the most part. It's been plain sailing, doting on me, loving me, you know, pursuing me. And now she's and I said a burden. I, I mean, I, you don't have to take on the burden. And I'm sorry you feel it's a burden. Hopefully, I'm bringing something to this mm-hmm. relationship. And so again, and this is my this is my issue. I didn't share it with my fellows. I didn't share it with my friends. Because I didn't want to malign her. And quite frankly, Hold a ho ho ho. I think you didn't want the truth. That's true. That's true. I felt she'd be, you know, when I was seen. I that mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But that
0: that's my gut reaction. If I if I were in your place and I was withholding that information from somebody I would be doing it because I didn't want to leave that relationship. And I would know that somebody would be
2: calling me on my enabling of a
0: partner's bad behavior.
2: I knew that if I told you, and again, this was unconscious, then there's no way that you would not tell me the truth of what was going on and highlight that this was probably very unhealthy behavior. And... You know, it's it's been a long time since I've met somebody that I felt could be a good partner for me, and I really saw this in this woman, and so I I don't know how I was able to just sidestep that. I mean, really, I use I use humor as a way to as a way to diffuse or deflate somebody's ego. Like, you know, they can say whatever they want in the moment, but believe me, you know me, Paul, but believe me, I that was a running bit in our relationship. Whatever I did for her, you know, if I got her a massage or I took her away for the weekend, I go. I know you're taking on a huge burden, right? Just relaxing at a lovely. Would she laugh when you would take? Of course, of course. So it was my way of saying, sweetie, that's (laughs) that's that's a little unfair. But you know, I think it's you're right. Why was I? Why was I? You said I was so unwilling, unwilling, and it never does me any good to be. Uh, to, to, to hide anything. I remember a friend of mine once said, and it was, a, it was an amazing tool, and I recommend people use it. When you go on a date with somebody, specifically a first date, and it's amazing how intuitive we are as individuals if we get quiet. He said, write down what this relationship will look like in six months based off the experience you've just had. And I was like, that's crazy. It's just one date. Mm. So I did it anyway. And this was somebody I really liked. And it was horrific. I realized I wasn't going to be listened to. My feelings were not going to be cared for. Uh, they really were unavailable. Um, there was a lot of anxiety there. There was, I mean, I, I, I wrote it down and here's what's crazy. Thank God. Uh, I'm using a pseudonym here. Thank God. I continued anyway. That's, that's how, what was the thought process in blowing past that red flag? Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to give myself I will tell you what it was. It's kind of like it's one of my favorite movies. Um, you know, it's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. And I remember once I was at some uh I, give me a second. I'll bring it back to your question. I was at some meditation seminar and I met Jim Carrey who was in that movie. It's one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. It says so much about us and our humanity and I and I said to him, say, I said, can I just ask you a question? Would it be possible? I'm sorry to disturb you to talk about the movies. Like, absolutely. Sweetest guys. Like, it's one of my favorite films, even though I was in it. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's my theory of this movie, what it's really trying to say at some level. And despite what we may know about another individual, we are incredibly powerless when we meet somebody who we feel wildly intellectually emotionally and physically attracted to and i didn't know enough then and now so i was powerless and around this individual i wasn't able that's when i think the shift started to happen and what did he say when you asked him that he said was- that's exactly that's exactly what it is but what i've learned to do obviously not well because i'm sitting here alone with you you're still friends with me i mean that's a red flag it's to me i see that as a green flag you know if you'll have me on your podcast to talk about my relationships every time i break up this is going to be the best friendship i've ever had in my life this is the best free therapy i've ever had i think the flag of our relationship is the color of a bruise I used to joke with her, I go, you're taking on a burden. Green flag, green flag, keep going, keep Keep going. going. I would, I, I mean, I have some consciousness around it, but I was, you know, I was minimizing it. Minim, why, why, why was I so, I was like, you know, here's, I remember a therapist once said to me, he goes, I want to give you some uh, criticism, but I want you to take it respectfully. I was like, okay, that's what you pay the therapist for. He said, I've never met somebody. Who can meet meet an individual and so quickly assess with pristine accuracy who they are than you? And I go, that's I go, that's a compliment. I go, well, where's the criticism? He goes, I haven't finished. I go, well, what's the rest of it? He goes, and then proceed to totally ignore it. And that's 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 the story of my life. Yeah. I have a blind spot for whatever reason. My childhood. In this area, if somebody manages to see me a little bit and accept me for who I am, that becomes, you know, or, or or says they accept you because
0: I mean, her calling you a burden a week later is clearly not accepting you as, as, as who you are. I mean, it's, it's, um, totally turning the tables on somebody, you know, somebody setting a boundary and then you, you, instead of taking that in, just turning it around and criticizing that person without even listening to to what it is that are, that they're saying I mean you you're f- obviously free to disagree with somebody but the manner in which you disagree with them says everything about your character
2: well yeah i mean and even and this is this is going to sound worse mm-hmm. you know sort of after that she suggested that we go to therapy that which had, which is always a great sign six at the weeks six in. week
0: mark i remember saying that to you you have been with her for six
2: weeks and you're already in therapy what are you doing well clearly i was you know at the time i was i was it was under the guise i'm going to cut myself a little bit under the guise of having a healthy relationship so that we didn't trigger each other when uh stuff came up that we needed to talk about. So we used to learn this technique called, we, we went to a therapist to learn Imago, which the, in, in short is basically one person speaks for about 30 seconds, and they talk about how they feel about something that you've done. They don't tell you. They don't criticize you. And the whole purpose of them saying how you, they feel is so you can understand how they feel. Right. And also you don't get criticized. So, you know, if somebody is in a car and they drive fast, you know, you don't say, I think you're insensitive. You say, I felt scared when you drove fast. And then I, I can empathize with that. I can understand that it's not personal. And then you repeat what they've said so they feel validated. Really the, the, the individual in the relationship, the partner becomes the therapist validating the other person's feelings. And even though you may disagree with... You can't disagree with the way they felt. That's the way right. they felt. Even though you m- mis- disagree that they've come to some conclusion, you're validating their feelings, and it's a beautiful way to communicate. Right. So I was like, okay, this is a great skill.
0: Right. Because you
2: can disagree on what's a unsafe speed to drive at, correct? But, but you
0: can't disagree with how somebody feels about it.
2: Yeah. yeah, I can't feel that. You know, if I'm going 15 miles an hour and that feels scary to me, and I want to have an intimate relationship with this person, uh, then I'm gonna. I've, and I want to hear them. Then I've got to be willing to meet them either at that speed or somewhere close to it so they feel safe for whatever reason oh, and i say you f- fucking kick the door open and floor it That's and like i jump out the side and yeah. jump out the side and put it on autopilot yeah. so i can't remember the point of telling you that but anyway yeah so you guys were in therapy uh together um let's
0: let's fast forward to the part where she came over to your house when you said you you wanted to get some work done?
2: So we had, um, we'd gone to a therapy session to specifically learn this healthy communication strategy. And in the therapy session, she had decided to, uh, this is horrific now that I'm going to say this, uh, it doesn't make me emotional, but I'm just, you know, it's sort of sobering me up. I'm just really getting clear on this relationship. She said to me that sex was boring and she felt uninspired and... And I remember and, saying, and, and I remember she also said, "You,
0: you, you told me that she felt way more spiritual than
2: you." Yes. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing. That was the other. That was that was the bomb. That was the cherry on the cake. Yes. Um, so I, I feel sex is boring, and I feel that I'm more spiritual with you. What are you going to do about? It? And I said, "Wait a sec. This is the whole point of this amargo therapy. Is you can say I feel, um, you, you, how you feel, but that is." Uh, judgment that is an attack you know if you really want to emasculate a man um and clearly i was asking for it you know Mm -hmm. so if you want to emasculate a man you say sex is boring and so the therapist put the kibosh on that and tried to sort of redirect the conversation and after that night we the therapist said don't discuss it but of course it came up again because it was so painful and i said let's take you know i think both of us decided let's take you know 24 hours off I'm going to drop you off at home tonight. I'll see you in a day or so. And no contact. We're not going to see each other. We're not going to call. And so that, that was it. And the next morning at around about 9 o'clock, unannounced, I am vacuuming my house. And I've got headphones on. I'm listening to music or on a call. And I see her at the back of the window of my house she's climbed over the gate and she's banging on the window i literally got the shock of my life and i was like what are you doing here i thought we weren't seeing each other for Mm. 24 hours we planned to see each other later this afternoon not now i just want to get something i just want to pick something up just want to pick up some clothes i go I go, this is not a good time. You know, specifically, we took time off so we could Mm -hmm. both center ourselves, do self-care so that we could come to each other in a loving way, a compassionate way, see our role, diffuse the situation. She goes, I don't want to talk. I just want to come in. I go, this is not a good time. I think I said it three times. Mm -hmm. And so I, she goes, just open the door. So I opened the door and she ran in, pushed past me. And went looking for my keys because she felt that the thing she was looking for it was a dress was left in my car, and and I remember I said you know I I was I was in shock quite frankly mm-hmm. one from somebody appearing mm-hmm. at the window at the back of my house and two of them you know me saying three times please don't come in and then just pushing past me and I said what are you doing I mean that's about you know I'm not a screamer I'm not a shouter I'm mm-hmm. British so <laughs> that's about as emphatic as I can get. And Did you put your tea down when you said it? I always like to keep my tea with me as a pacifier oh, when I get emotional. Nice and high, just below your chin. Just below my chin, and you can never spill it because yes. that is considered, you know, sort of beyond the pale. That makes you an animal. Thank you. You, my mother, and my ex all believe the same thing about me. Therefore, <laughs> I must be. So, so, but here was here's the here's the pièce de résistance. Me setting a boundary that was totally blown by this other individual me then becoming frustrated because this person's in my house led to her making accusations that i was abusive and i was like my head was spun i'm like i'm abusive you turned up at my house when we were on You were taking a break. We may not have said the exact words, no contact, but it was, we're taking a break for 24, we're not gonna see each other. And you turned up and I said no and you came in and I said no three times, you came in anyway, you climbed over, you basically tried to break in. Mm -hmm. And then me saying, what are you doing? Is abusive to you? And I remember I came to you and you sat me down. I don't think you've ever looked me in the eye so with such concern and fear, you're like, you have to get out of this this person will never respect your boundaries and you said it over and over and i i just i heard it but i the truth is i didn't want to end it in that moment and, and i wanted to find my role yeah and and you were it should also
0: be said you were consulting with some people in our uh support group who Whose experience I think was dubious and whose attitude about this, um, was really, really questionable. And they, I remember, told you something along the lines of, um, you have to respect her feelings because she had a, a, a hard childhood. And I, and I just remember thinking that is separate yes. from this. You, this is an issue about her
2: and, y- you were not being abusive. In I said, "What do you mean?" Yeah, yeah. I was like, I couldn't wrap my head. So I said, and I actually said to her, "What do you mean, abusive?" She's like, "I felt the next step was going to be physical." And I said, "Well, first of all, I've never been in a fight with anybody in my life. There's no physical violence in my family. You know, people, my my mother could lose her temper, and I." gave her many reasons to as a child I was a very Mm -hmm. annoying teenager and but I go that's your stuff your family was very violent and therefore you know you're sort of imposing that belief on me it it couldn't have been further from the truth I was just in shock Mm -hmm. that you'd you know, violated my boundaries. You came into my home. You'd basically broken into my house, climbed over my fence, you know, knocked mm-hmm. at my window when I was least expecting it, scared the living daylights out of me. I'd, nobody <laughs> jumped over the fence and couldn't see that. And I remember you sat sat across from me, I mean, again, with real fear, concern on your face as a great friend. And you repeated that over and over. Like, why? Why do you feel like? And I was, you know, to use, I guess I was I was invested at that point. Yeah. That's why it's important to take things slow, which we started to at her behest, and again, I was willing to spend a lot of time together and the plans we had, the future we wanted to build, the the life we'd, you know, sort of conjured up together was really sort of enticing. And I guess I couldn't let that fantasy go. Because it's a fantasy. Those are just woods.
0: This is is the reality. You cherry pick the the good parts and you minimize the bad parts. And
2: And that was bad.
0: Yeah, that was really bad. And and I remember saying to you, do you think that that she is going to change? If so, do you think you're going to change her? Because that's a, a big blind spot that... Uh, people often have in relationships is they, they think somebody is, is going to change and they're waiting for that to, to happen. And, uh, it's, it's usually just a way of avoiding being alone or ending something. And I remember talking with you about that and, and saying her behavior has been consistent from when she first started crossing your boundaries and turning things around on you. And, and what what about this do you not understand? And, and I, I, you said something along the lines of,
2: I'm just going to give it three more months. And
0: I just remember thinking,
2: oh, wow. boy. Oh, boy. Where is this? What were you really thinking? Were you like, where is this going to go? I, what were you really? I my, mean, I
0: I, my real thought was, he's got to do what he's got to do. I've expressed what I thought. I can't control him. He's got to be on his own journey to, if there's something for him to learn, to learn it, or something he needs to experience, uh, he needs to experience it. And, and I thought to myself, eventually he will see the light and, and he'll get out of this. I just don't want to see my friend
2: in pain and in drama. Yeah, it was it was so shocking to me and I think you used the term gaslighting. I didn't really to be honest. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with that term. Maybe it's it, it's a recent I didn't really understanding what I what it meant. And I remember I asked you for the definition and basically it's where the reality presented by the other individual is the complete antithesis of the truth. Yeah. And I listen, this person is doing the best she can. I was willing to be gaslit. I was willing to let my boundaries be broken. I was willing to accept that behavior. That's, That's a bottom line. And and if I feel like you know what I should have done, if I you know if I, I should have said y- you suggested getting out of the relationship, um, which is what I should have done. Hmm. But really, the right you know really the right answer would have been to draw very that. Um, and draw such a clear boundary that can never happen again, and it can never happen again. If I say this is, please do not break a boundary. Do not come into my home. Do not break into my house. If that happens, this relationship is over. But the fact that it happened, so I tried to cut this person some slack, is really what it, which gets me into a lot of trouble. And you're right, you know, to anybody that is taking advice from others, you have to see the context of where the advice is coming from. The two people that I went to had both suffered childhood sexual abuse. These are the two people in the program. Correct. And they um, sympathized, empathized with her. They basically allow, and again, it's not their issue. It's it's not their problem, but they allowed me to see. And again,
0: I empathized with her. Correct. But my truth was different than than my reality Correct. was different than what theirs was which was that you might want to look at your part in it because what you did was kind of abusive and that is where I disagree with them
2: yeah because they the, their, their assessment was you created an environment you gave her the codes the keys to your house where she could come you said to her you could come and go whenever you please and so maybe she had become used to that and so she was just picking something up so is it a big deal just to let her have it it's a big deal I've come to see if you say, no, please, this is not a good time. It'd be different if it was her diabetes medication. No, then, it, yeah, you would have been a dick for... It, it was a dress that needed to be returned to Saks Fifth Avenue because she'd borrowed it for a shoot a week earlier and just wanted to put... It, oh, by the way, bought the dress on my credit card without asking and said, you don't mind, do you? I'm going to take it back anyway. So, there were, like, you know, it was very again why it it says more about me than it does about her she yes. is just being who she is the question is why was i willing to overlook that right. why was i cuz you know that's that's what i was taught is to Happy wife, happy life, happy partner, happy relationship. Let some things slide. But some that's why I need friends like you. I need confidants who are in healthy relationships, who have spiritual principles, who know you well, who can reflect back at you honestly. And quite frankly, I've got to be willing to listen. Mm. I've got to be willing to listen. And I didn't do enough analysis and bring each of these issues to you and to other people that I trust intrinsically so that I wanted to sweep them under the carpet because I wanted the fantasy of the life we would have and, together. And, and that's how powerful romantic and sexual fantasy
0: is. It's so powerful. It's so powerful, especially to people who, uh, are addicts. It, it, It makes
2: people do crazy, crazy shit. Or accept things that are totally inappropriate in any other setting. Yeah. It was so, yeah. I mean, I was in a great place before this relationship started. And I remember I said to her at one point, you know, we'd been intimate. And I said, I forgot how powerful it can be to be in an intimate physical relationship with somebody that you also emotionally – attracted to, intellectually attracted to, and you see a future with. And it was, that was, you know, that's the truth. That was a transcendent experience. And truthfully, that means now I'm learning that I should have waited a lot longer before being intimate because, you know, I don't want to have that powerful experience with somebody that is not Before you know them. Before you, because the truth is, you can't get out. It's so hard. I'm real at me. Mm -hmm. It's so hard for me to get out when... I have that kind of intimacy with somebody or spend that much time with somebody without truly truly knowing them so so let's let's cut to the final the, the final finale. day the finale so yeah, um you know we'd just come back from a beautiful trip up to uh Bixer. we were we'd spent the week together we were bonded we were i mean really our relationship had gone to another level at least so I thought. And um, uh, she'd been away for a week for work and she'd come back and I'd said, you want to come with me to a dinner tonight I was having in Malibu with a friend? And yeah, she was like, give me five minutes to get ready. It took a little longer to get ready and we were running late. And I was driving fast and out of nowhere. I mean, we I helped her with her work, her life, her career, basically all day. And uh, I was driving fast and she said to me, The way you drive is insensitive knowing that my boyfriend in university died in a car crash that I was in. And I said, sweetie, I am so sorry. Let me slow down. I didn't even make the connection. I apologize. I'm sorry. I was trying to get there on time. I'm going to slow down. She's like, but it's still insensitive. Do you not think about that? And I was like, sweetie. Please, i I really. I, I, you can tell me how you feel. You're scared. Mm-hmm. You're worried. You're, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I slowed down and meet says, so If you want to drive, you want me to get out of the car. You want a cab, whatever it is you need to do. I said, you know, so l- let let's just not personalize it because we're going mm-hmm. for a dinner with a friend, and you know I don't want to have a fight with you. She goes, all those things, all those things are true, but. You're still insensitive. This is who you are as a human being. I was like, "Sweet, please, please don't attack me. I mean, it's very hard for me as a Brit to say, you know, please don't attack me. Please don't criticize me. Please don't launch into uh, what felt like had nothing to do with me. And um, – that was met with an enormous amount of resistance. And so finally I said, can we just table this when both of us have calmed down, we're about to go for dinner, I'm happy to talk about it, I want to resolve this. I actually thought it was resolvable. I said, it's not a big deal. I get that you've had a trauma there and it's a big trauma to Mm -hmm. lose, you know, the first healthy love relationship of your life. And so we went to dinner and after dinner she drove home, she decided to stay at her place, which I supported. And I said, you know, you know let's check in tomorrow see how we feel uh the next day we had a business dinner together I was introducing her to somebody that could help her with her career and she's like I would like to keep the business dinner um if that's okay with you I said well it's not fair for me to have you meet a friend of mine and for him to invest his time in you and your career if we haven't resolved our personal issues and also it's going to be uncomfortable for him Mm -hmm. and he's a very close friend and he would have been totally fine with that i could have had dinner by myself with him we can do it another time there's plenty of times and this 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 was really annoying frustrating and angered her and she said i want no contact until this was a wednesday night i want no contact till monday and i said sure Literally no contact. So I said, sure. I said, I, you know, I support whatever you need to get emotional equilibrium. An hour later, she calls me back and wants to speak. And I was like, I thought you said no contact. No contact means no <laughs> contact. And uh, I got on the phone with her. She, she goes, I want to come over. I've made you dinner. I want to read you a gratitude list. I want to hold your hands, look into your eyes. And I was like, it was now about seven thirty in the evening, and it'd been a long work day. And I said, "That's very, very sweet, but I think we need to talk about what happened the other night and resolve that." And then mm-hmm. um, I, it's not that I don't want those things, but she was. It's not about that. It's not about that. I was like, I, "I'm not feeling great. Can we do it? Can we do it tomorrow and talk about it?" Because "I need to do it now. I need to do it now." I go, "Please, I'm not feeling well. This is now. I'm seeing mm-hmm. a pattern. That I repeated to you, and insisted, and basically said." And I was cold-clogged. I'd like to transition our relationship from a romantic relationship into a friendship. And I said, can you stop one sec? Just so I'm clear. Are you breaking up? She's like, yes. I go, are you joking? No. Are you joking? No. So I said, okay. I take your word. I don't want to force you to be in something that you're unhappy with. I respect your wishes. I would like no contact. Uh, In fact, I would insist on it. I'm going to deliver all the stuff that you left at mine when you stayed over um, on Monday. She's like, that's fine, because I'm going away for the weekend anyway. And I said, you know, I wish you all the best. And then the conversation ended. And take a a sip of thank you. Here. So I then wrote her an email and a text, because last time I said, Don't come to my house. Please uh, don't contact me. It was totally, maybe it wasn't clear. Maybe I wasn't clear about it. So I put an email text, very, very clear. Please don't come over. Don't contact me. Let me process this. I'll deliver your stuff on Monday as we agreed. And of course, you know, an hour later, I, I saw on the security cameras that she'd come over. She dropped the food off and dropped off a gratitude list and some candles and, it was a very very sweet gratitude list quite frankly mm. i'm glad to have gotten it because mm. it really showed it showed me how i'd really showed up in this relationship and i want to talk mm. about all the things i did learn <laughs> if we have mm. time for that and uh, i didn't contact her and the next morning at around about 9:30 and this is shocking to me to, not to me um, that's why you need that's why you need <laughs> to listen to friends who you trust and at 9:30 in the morning turns up at the house banging on the door wanting to come in i want to get my stuff and i said you know we agreed on no contact this is not a good time i said if you need it you said you were going away if you need it let me collect it i'll drop it off for you In and hour. she goes i need it now i mean something snapped in her literally banging on the door with her fists i mean i've never seen such rage and anger climbed over the back of the fence again tried to break in through the windows and then threaten me if I don't let her in the house, she's going to call the sheriff. And I was like, that's not going to end up well for you. And it was, I have rights here. I lived here for four months. I go, you didn't live here for four <laughs> months. You stayed here, you know, mm-hmm. many times, but you didn't live here. So she called the police. They turn up. I explained the situation to them. And they told her she was trespassing because she didn't have did you do a DWP bill, didn't have a lease. She didn't live here. And they said, You need to leave. She said, well, before I leave, I'm taking his TV that he had at mind that I brought over. I'm taking with me as collateral. The police said, stop. You've just told us that's his TV and you're taking it. That's called stealing. We're going to have to arrest you for theft if you do that. Took it anyway. Put it in her car. I couldn't believe the balls or the the, the Mm -hmm. will of this individual. Shocking to me. Put it in her car, wouldn't give it to the police, negotiated with the police for the next 45 minutes. Those guys, you know, I mean, I have such profound respect for the job they do and how they defuse this. And finally, I had to get out. Her car consciously was blocking my garage. And I said, guys, I have to go. So, mm-hmm. And they're like, ma'am, if you do not leave now and leave that TV, you're going to get arrested. And she goes, but let me explain. She goes, I don't like the way you're talking to me. I called you. They go, yes. You called us, but this is the law. Negotiated again, and finally, I said, "You have to listen to them. I don't want you to get arrested. Please listen to them." And eventually, you know, sort of an hour or half after she'd arrived, she left. Did and- she leave the TV? yes the police made her leave the tv it's a samsung and it's an apple tv (laughs) and this is the perfect opportunity anybody who makes me a really good offer there's great memories with this tv this is something that you and your wife and your romantic partner will enjoy for a lifetime i think you bring it to your next first date and say listen if you find that you want to take this from me i'm in well i hate to say this i already did i'm one step ahead of you (laughs) So anyway, since then, I've asked for no contact. And long story short, there has been a lot of contact. Which is not surprising. <laughs> not surprising. All. So I'm, you know, I, I will say that I'm concerned because and I've realized that my boundaries will not be, you know, respected, respected, which they weren't from the very beginning, which is right. what you tried to point out. And somehow, you know, I listen. All I was ever asking for, and I asked this at the beginning of a relationship, is that, and I think you'd agree, somebody who has a level of consciousness about their own behavior. Meaning, we can all get triggered. We can all get emotional, say things and do things. But, you know, it's a prerequisite. It's a necessity for me to be in a relationship with somebody, a friendship, a business, somebody who can really look at their own role Mm -hmm. and have some consciousness around it rather than- And put effort into changing that that behavior. Thank you for that for that wrinkle. I mean, that's a really an important wrinkle. So not only – so you're saying not only does somebody need to have consciousness about you – know, Their tra- issue, what are they doing to work on that issue? Are they putting any effort into it? Are they
0: going to anger management? Are they seeing a therapist? Are they going to a support group? Those are all ways of showing that you are sorry for
2: – the the things that you do that hurt people that's all you that's that's the best you can hope for in a relationship really somebody who takes responsibility for their actions looks at their role and then takes action to minimize the likelihood of that that's Happening really again because the truth is it's going to happen in rel people are going to get triggered they're going to get emotional mm-hmm. and really i always say this and i think you'd agree that the the depth of relationship is defined by sometimes the disagreements that you have and your ability to resolve them I mean, and the manner in which you resolve them Yes, that
0: that is huge the diplomacy the timing of it the words that are used the tone of voice you know, uh, are you letting go of that or is one person going to use that for leverage later in the relationship? It's so it's so complicated. There are so many moving parts to it, but um, it's it's once you once you begin to see clearly the the landscape of. What is healthy or unhealthy, uh, emotionally in a relationship? It becomes so much easier to navigate. And I'm not saying I got it all figured out by any means, but certainly I feel much more clear headed since I came into our support group and, uh, and have started to learn that I have needs. The other person has needs and boundaries. Am I respecting them, et, et, et cetera, et cetera? Because I I never thought that I was somebody who was insensitive and crossed
2: boundaries. And boy, was I fucking wrong. It's so hard to see. I mean, here's what's beautiful about the support group is I can look at my role and admit that I'm wrong, that I erred, that I wasn't conscious around this because it's okay to be imperfect. Nobody's looking for Nobody's looking for perfection, as Correct. my mother would say. If you're looking for perfection, you have to ask why they want to be with you. So, but <laughs> oh my god, that's so harsh. That is so harsh. By the way, that's what she wrote in my Christmas card. I'm <laughs> kidding. That was that that was, that was that was the love language. But anyway, yes. So I can admit that I'm wrong because being wrong doesn't decimate me as a human being it's not it's not who i am it's it's an aspect of my humanity that needs working on and i'm humble enough to be able to admit that but the truth is if i'm not in some program support group some spiritual group where there's accountability Mm -hmm. then it's very very hard to see that and so i have a lot of compassion for this individual i know given her history and I want to say this because it's meaningful to me that she told me – she went to a therapist, and the therapist said, given your background, you should be I, – I, I'm scared to say this, and you can edit it out if we mm-hmm. deem it inappropriate, but you know, you should be a prostitute, a sex worker in the adult film industry, and a drug addict, and all the above possibly – And the fact that this is a functioning human being doing the best she can is a miracle. Now, that doesn't minimize her behavior. So it's not a criticism. It just means, so really the, and again, it comes back to what we were saying, the onus is on me, not what she did. Why was I willing to not share it? Why was I willing to minimize it and ignore it? That's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the real question. And those are the lessons you know i i have i i've got to learn from this so you know my role you know yeah. i do those things she's just being who she is everybody's just right. who they are it's not personal and you're, you're uh,
0: sticking around and and waiting for for things to change that's how powerful the fantasy is and the and the need to avoid conflict and to minimize things so that the other person uh doesn't have to take responsibility and there you know there's a way in which she also reminds me of my mom and that, uh, there are people sometimes whose greatest tool for getting what they want is they are willing to fight longer than the other person mm. and they wear you down, especially somebody when they, you are stuck living with them and there's no place for you to run. And that, that was one of the ways I think that, that my mom was able to be, uh, who she was sometimes, not that there weren't parts of her that were great, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but everybody in my family would capitulate to her because they didn't want to endure the length of the, the disagreement. And your ex reminds me of, of her because she
2: had so much energy to argue with it was amazing. I mean, argue with the police for an, yeah. an hour and a half. I've never seen. I've never seen that before. And you know, thank you so much for sharing that. And because I think I said to you, and I asked you a question. I go, it just doesn't add up to me. The words coming out of the person's mouth mm-hmm. are like you know, beautiful flowers filled with enlightenment, right. and the action is the antithesis of that. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that. Mm-hmm. I, also, can you imagine if? in that circumstance,
0: she were a black man, how much less tolerant the police probably would have been. That's
2: what I was shocked at. That's what I was shocked at. I mean, yeah, she was, you know, an attractive woman. White woman. Yes. In her 30s, who was wearing no bra that day and who's Mm -hmm. was was exposed to some degree. And I mean, it's I, I saw that. And uh, but i was still fearful you know these are uh, mm. you know these these guys do a very, you know do a very difficult job and the majority of them are great human beings who do the work that we don't want to do and that's that was shocking to me that would have yeah. been over within within minutes before mm. it even began is my sort of assessment yeah. and i did some reading after you and i chatted about you know sort of you mentioned the idea and I, again you can cut this out if it's inappropriate mm. sort of this person's suffering from sort of borderline, or it sounds like that, you know, you can't give a diagnosis. But literally, and I think she
0: shows right. a, a lot of the characteristics of somebody that, that has a borderline personality disorder, or emotional dysregulation disorder. And, and, again, I'm not a therapist, but I've the books I've read, and the documentaries I've watched about it. And uh and the thing that i wanted to say was this is not to blame things and to say all people who have borderline personality disorder are like this that's it's not that at all it's a question of managing it because uh personal- personality disorders um like bpd can be managed there's a thing called dialectical behavior therapy that can achieve wonderful results what and people that? can live it's um it was created by a woman named um Marcia Linehan who Also uh, has uh, BPD Mm -hmm. and it's a kind of a mode of uh, communicating emotions and a way of deescalating things so that the person can see feel seen and heard. At the core from what I understand of people with BPD is a fear of abandonment and rejection yes and the feelings that they feel when that threat occurs perceived or real is on a scale from one to ten the emotions they feel are a hundred wow. and it feels like yes. their body is on fire yes and so it's like a central nervous system thing that is super super intense and I have a lot of compassion <laughs> for for people who uh, are in the grips of that. Their responsibility to themselves and to those around them is to get help for it. And again, I could be completely wrong about that. I don't want to present myself as a therapist or a psychiatrist. That was just something that you and I were talking about. So I'm reticent to talk about it on the podcast. But now that it's come out, there, there it is.
2: Yeah, and I did some sort of reading, and it was very, very helpful. And I was, you know, what I've come to see is that you know when you've this is what i came to understand what i read that you know if you've suffered from extreme sexual abuse as a child from multiple caregivers who are family members then your sense of boundaries have been violated so to, deeply. to to a degree that i can't even begin to ponder mm-hmm. i can't even begin and so the idea that somebody else is setting a boundary, however minimal, somehow triggers that feeling of being abused in a way, because Mm -hmm. it was your boundary. So you setting a boundary on them triggers those same feelings. That's why they're having a very strong emotional reaction. So um, yeah, that tool that you talked about, and it's ironic that you say that because she would say to me when she was in that state, I just want you to validate my feelings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but they're, but they're not, they're, they're so, you know, antithetical to the reality of the situation. It's not that I, and I, and it made it more difficult to do that when I was being personally attacked and my boundaries are being broken. So if I'd had the, Sorry, go ahead. It's because not the she, data or the information or the tool. Right. She
0: was asking you to say that the data was not what the data was. Correct. She was equating that with what she was feeling. You can validate what somebody's feeling but disagree on what the external facts are of what yes, is appropriate that's what was, or that, that, inappropriate. Yes,
2: that's, that's what I was trying to get back to. Just tell me how you feel because I can't argue that she feels scared and I totally empathize with that. And if I want to have – and I sympathize with that. Mm. And if I have, want to have a relationship with a friend, mm-hmm. a coworker, uh, a romantic partner, I have to understand their feelings yes. whether I agree with them or not. Mm-hmm. And the feelings are not – they they're not facts. They're feelings. Right. But they're your feelings, and I respect that. And And I would imagine
0: – What it felt like to be inside her skin was such a feeling of rejection and worthlessness and lack of safety and fear Why? in that Why? moment. Explain to the, me. Well, the surveys that I have read where people describe what it feels like to, to have borderline personality disorder, th- those are things that I read over and over again, what it feels like. It's, uh, almost like being trapped in a building that is that is on fire where other people can do something and they're choosing not to, you know, just like um, just being thrown away like garbage.
2: Yeah, I mean it's I, I had no understanding whatsoever and you know one of the things I've learned is and again you know to your listeners is I know for myself that when I am emotional or I get triggered by something I need to step back because and mm-hmm. you know you'll know this I'm sure it's come up on your podcast that you're thinking when you're in an emotional dysregulated state yep. is is literally it's fight or flight so you And it's are, warped. It's, it's warped. so warped. You feel under attack. Oh, my God.
0: And the, you've, the, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The, the feelings that I have experienced when my adrenaline is pumping, you know, when I'm playing hockey, somebody, you know, does something that's that's dirty, that threatens my physical safety or does actually hurt. I see red and all logic goes out the window and all I can think about for the next five minutes is hurting that person is getting back at them somehow. And it feels like the most logical thing in the world to me. And eventually. I settle down, maybe my teammates talk to me, or, you know, it's after the game, and then I can kind of laugh about it. But uh, if, if having uh, borderline personality disorder is living with many moments like that throughout the day,
2: uh, uh, my heart goes out too. It's, it's tragic to me that right. it's because, you know, really... Again, the work of Imago that I studied Mm -hmm. and we did together, it really allows you to get to a place where you communicate in a way that you get what you want, which is really we want understanding, Mm -hmm. compassion, and love. And that's what this tool has been able to uh, bring between us when it's used effectively. And when you don't use it, It's the antithesis of that, the complete opposite. It's toxicity. It's toxicity. And quite frankly, it doesn't bring any compassion, doesn't bring any love, doesn't bring any understanding because the other person is under attack and then they're having an emotional response. So um, that's why when we would argue, I would say, let's stop because you don't want to say anything in that space because it's never... It, it feels so good, though, Paul, in that yes. moment to, to express your feelings. It feels so good. It yeah. feels like – sometimes when you're angry mm-hmm. you know, or you get upset, it feels good to express it. And it mm-hmm. feels so righteous, but I don't know. I've just – it never <laughs> – it doesn't serve anybody. It's yeah. so destructive.
0: Yeah. Well, buddy, thanks for coming and sitting down and sharing all of the intense intense shit with me. And I look forward to – Seeing what your na- your next relationship looks like, fingers crossed.
2: Well, the good news is, after your listeners have, have heard this broadcast, um, I'm I, I'm sure of th- offers There's going to be a lot of offers pouring yes. in to date someone like me. I yes. mean, I thank God I'm using a pseudonym, yeah, because otherwise, I, I, you know, I couldn't go a night, a day, a yeah. lunch yes. without getting a date.
0: You can reach him at emotionallycrippled at gmail dot com. <laughs> love you buddy love you too man oh man if if we go through life and we have even just a handful of friends that we can be completely honest with and and trust we are we are lucky and uh definitely count him among those uh let's jump into some surveys this is from the shame and secret survey filled out by penny the doe and uh Never been sexually abused, never been physically or emotionally abused. Darkest thoughts. I sexualize young teenagers. I'm jealous of their skinny bodies. I constantly compare my body, exercise, and eating habits to my brothers. I get scared whenever I think he's not eating enough. Imagine that he's throwing up when he goes to the bathroom and freak out when I think he's lost weight. By the way, uh, she's also uh, 19 and identifies as pansexual and uh, says that she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional home. Darkest secrets. I've eaten scraps from strangers, discarded dishes out of the trash. I could afford to feed myself and usually wasn't even hungry. I go on dating websites, construct an idealized version of myself, get a mental high off of people finding me interesting and desirable, then ghost everyone before opening up or actually meeting anyone. My first date was with a man in his mid-twenties when I was a teenager. He tried to get me drunk and have sex with me. I've only had one other date with a girl about my age that same year uh, who I dumped. On the night Trump was elected, I ate two-thirds of a jar of peanut butter. And sometimes I get off on porn that I worry was not made consensually. And then she she uh, skipped the rest of the survey, but... Um, Thank you for filling that out. I I, uh, appreciate it. Um, I'm always interested to hear the variety of people's experiences, both, you know, uh, outward and and inward. And uh, I feel like I've learned so much about other people and myself doing, doing this podcast. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself American Prime. He writes, recently found out my wife was having an affair. We're married and been together for eight years. The affair wasn't sexually driven. It was an emotional connection. At least that's what she thought. When push came to shove, he got back with his childrenless ex who's 21 and he's 37. After an extreme emotional response, I've tried my damnedest to save our marriage. I love my wife with everything I've got. I'm willing to give her the world, but she loves this other guy who would never give her what I can. Eight-year relationship, two kids, and a six-month-old house we just bought. My whole world is slipping through my fingers, and there isn't shit I can do. We're still living together and have been having wild sex and have an oddly deeper connection now. Willing to talk to each other on a whole other level, yet she won't even say I love you anymore. Talk about a shit show. Uh, and real quick, I suffer from PTSD, which is an easy way of saying I suffer from a lot of shit. I have issues with letting my walls down and have decided to blow them up to save our relationship. I was a victim of an attempted murder where I suffered many injuries, including a traumatic brain injury and a blood clot in the right frontal lobe. Am I losing it? Question mark. Wow, that is a lot. That is a lot. And the only thing I feel experienced enough to comment on is to give you a high five where you recognize that there isn't shit that you can do about how your wife is going to respond or react. And obviously, you can decide what it is that you're going to do. But uh, I think a support group or therapy would really be a good plus for navigating this really really complicated stuff that you're going through Mm. this is from the happy Moments survey filled out by chelsea and she writes saturday nights when my mom takes my dog to my bedroom and i don't even have to ask her His presence is so soothing that even though I normally sleepwalk due to stress and anxiety, I sleep like an angel when he's in the bedroom. Knowing that he's there and feeling him kicking me to make more space in bed right before I fall asleep is peace to me. Also, Sunday nights eating pizza with my mom and my sister and watching whatever show makes us laugh. Whenever I feel suicidal, I think about these little moments and I want to live again. They keep me around. Man, do I love that. And that is such a great feeling, laughing together with other people, especially if you're eating pizza. And I do love that feeling when my dog comes up on the bed, and I've got into it, and she just curls up as close as she can to me, and I can feel her breathing. It's uh, it's so good. It's so comforting. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Lemon. Uh, See, She identifies as straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and once reported it, and then was the victim of sexual abuse and didn't report it. I just moved to the San Fernando Valley from Colorado straight out of high school in a desperate attempt to escape my family. I was 18 and the guy was a co worker who was 21 or older. I'm not sure. He bought alcohol. I drank some of a Four Locos and then parentheses, no story with a Four Locos ends well. And the next thing I knew, we were having sex. I was so ashamed. I denied it to everyone at work because he told everyone about it. I said he was a liar. I now realize it was date rape, but I didn't think of that back then. I just felt shame that I had made a bad drunken mistake because this guy was a total douche. Sexual abuse was the culture of that job as I was sexually harassed by my boss and other co-workers while working there. I regret not keeping the text from my boss. I could be rich by now from suing that company. Also during my nine months living in LA, I was sitting outside on a bench waiting for a job interview when I was confronted by a large, muscular man. He started off by trying to convince me to be a foot model on his foot fetish website. I've always been too engaging with strangers and I'm such a people pleaser. I will humor someone for hours if someone doesn't come in and, quote, save me. After, by, by the way, a really good uh, tip, if if you are one of those people, is to pretend you're getting a phone call. I have done that to to save myself from long-winded people that I feel trapped by. Uh, after a while of that, he leaned in towards me and said something like, come with me. I was so scared, but I got in his car and he brought me to his apartment. He had a bunch of porn posters on the wall. He told me to lift up my dress to show him my ass. I did it. When I turned around, I saw that he had his penis out and was jerking off. He assured me, everything's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. So I just stood there, still, scared out of my mind. When he finished, he handed me $400, and I left. I felt so disgusting and ashamed. I didn't go to the job interview. She's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, My stepmother was generally emotionally abusive, but there was an episode where she got so mad at me that she chased me into the garage, cornered, and pinned me up against the garage door screaming in my face, you're fucking ugly and you have a fat ass. She isolated me from my family, told my siblings. And father not to talk to me it was known by all of us kids how we were ranked by favorites and i was last basically she ruined my family while my dad stood idly by masking his neglect with workaholism Uh, any positive experiences with abusers all i wanted was for my stepmom to like me she would be super nice sometimes but anything could ruin it in a bad moment She was very involved in our schooling and would drive us around to all our activities, so I guess some of my success was helped by her, even if she didn't love me while doing it. When we were having moments of getting along, I was almost in ecstasy, because it was so painful and scary when she was mad at me. Darkest thoughts. I think about suicide. I used to think about killing my stepmom a lot. I resent my mother for thinking everything is okay now that she's recovered, but she doesn't realize I'm not recovered from her. I resent my mother for thinking—oh, I just read Uh, that—I try to act like everything is great and normal like she wants me to, but I feel like I can't ever be close to her because she hurt me so bad with her addictions and I'm not able to tell her about it. I'm very uncomfortable with her emotional expressions and don't want to see her cry when I tell her the truth about how I feel about her. Darkest Secrets. I don't know if my boyfriend is right for me. we lived together about four years, and it's starting to feel more like we're roommates slash friends than lovers. I've talked to him about this, but have said I don't want to break up, though I actually might, but am too scared to admit it. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being pleasured by many men at once, it makes me feel a little sad that I'll probably never see that day. What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my dad that all the BS my stepmom fed him about me is fake. He never believed my side of the story, so it's not worth putting myself out there. You know, it's also possible that your dad didn't want to believe that that stuff was true because that would be inconvenient for him emotionally he would have to get in there he would have to stop avoiding things and escaping into his workaholism i think a lot of times for people subconsciously or consciously the idea of entering into the fray especially if it's going to be emotionally complicated and they're gonna feel uncomfortable they'll just take the easy out What if anything do you wish for? I hope I can one day make enough money to own a home. It sounds dumb, maybe, but I'm a millennial who has rented my whole adult life, and owning an actual house feels so out of reach. I have a decent job, but live in a growingly expensive state. I wish my dog never had to die. When I think about the fact that it will inevitably happen someday, I honestly hope I die first. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, nothing too scandalous there. How do you feel after writing these things down? Fine. I've done a lot of therapy and self-exploration since cutting contact with my family. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Everything always fluctuates. No bad feeling or events last forever. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, and that that inconsistent treatment by the, by the stepmother. You know, it's so similar to what we just talked about with my, my friend in the interview of, with his ex-girlfriend. It's such a mindfuck. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Brian, and he suffers from anxiety and OCD and a snapshot from his life, spending the entire day going from waking to going back to bed, living with fear and constantly worrying that I could be gay. And Brian is in his 60s, Gracie. Brian is in his 60s, and, you know, I think that probably really adds to the fear of uh, being gay or coming out or or not knowing. I mean, it's scary enough for for someone to, to come out today, but for somebody who was raised in such a hostile, so much more of a hostile, I should say, environment for um people who weren't straight um, that's that's certainly understandable but you know it's a it's a cliche but i did you know if you're listening brian i just want to say it who you love is none of anybody else's business and i i hope you can get to a place where you don't care about the judgment of other people and you can be true to yourself um I mean, I can't even imagine what it would have been like in the in the eighteen hundreds to be a a, a gay person. I, I actually befriended a guy from the eighteen fifties who uh, says that he has a medical degree and is in the process of diagnosing my uh, condition. He's here right now. You want to come to the mic and and share what you were telling me? His name is uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel Greeley? Did I get that right? Yes, sir. You, you don't have to get so close to the mic. Yes, sir. That is that is my, my name. And let me first say that I am honor-bound to you, sir, for having been afforded the opportunity to examine you. It has been and henceforth shall be among my most highly rewarding endeavors, not only because of the fine and elucidating company I've found myself privy to, but the knowledge that by you communicating and describing the mental hellhounds you find running hither thither through your bleak soul, you have bestowed upon me a bounty of satisfaction. Should I find myself able to solicit whatever truths I may find myself in possession of pursuant, to the affliction you find centered in your private chambers. I have no idea what any of that means. Neither do I. Wow. That's a lot. Why did everybody from your time talk so fucking long? Good sir, there was nothing else to do. Look at a log on the fire. Get atop a horse. Sweet Christ, we were born out of our skulls. So what do you think I might have? Well, I believe that you are suffering from autumnal hysteria. Interesting. And is that because the days are short? Oh, no. That is from looking into the face of mice. Hmm. I also believe that you are suffering from bed horrors. Bed horrors? Yes. Bed horrors. And what what causes that? Hearing too many out of tune pianos in saloons. Anything else? Tumbleweed face. Tumbleweed face. Sipping creek water from a dirty hat. Well, a lot of these things that you say I'm suffering from are clichés from from Westerns, except for maybe the mice thing. Kind sir, your head is an active beehive. Are you an actual doctor? No. I actually sort pigs and I'm a bean speculator. So what, what are you recommending I do to help my affliction? I think a couple of mule kicks to the head should take care of it. Loosen that beehive, perhaps lay on a cactus, chase some ponies. Okay, I think we've heard enough from you. This is from the happy moments <laughs> it was like It was like an accident that I don't want to acknowledge. I'm so thinking about going back and erasing that right now. Oh, my God. That's the great thing about having your own podcast is you live and die by your own decision. Fuck it. I'm leaving it in. I am leaving it in. Every fiber of my being is screaming. That was horrible. It was too long. It was pointless. Maybe it was, but fuck it. I'm leaving it in. This is a happy moment filled out by uh, MFT. T2B. No idea what that stands for. But she writes, I got into grad school. Me, of all people. I'm sitting here in my new sweatshirt looking at my grad school's name printed on the front thinking how unbelievable this is. This is the same person who not too long ago wished she could end it all. The one who held a gun under her chin with one hand while loading the while while holding the loaded clip in the other trying to build up the quote courage to just do it already. I'm so happy I chose to live that night. I cannot believe I'm where I am in my life right now. I get to be the one who can show people that it does get better, that you can heal from your abuse and trauma, that you can thrive despite your mental illness. I'm finally living life in my recovery, and it's goddamn beautiful. After all of my pain and heartache, not only am I still here, but I was accepted into my top school's marriage and family therapy program. My dream is coming true. I am going to be a therapist. How fucking cool is that? Oh, man. That made my day. That made my fucking day. I love it. Thank you for that. I, uh, I hope that the next couple of weeks don't crush your souls. It is, it is such, it is such a difficult time. You know, that the depression for me, my to-do list, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but my to-do list feels like Mount Everest. The only thing that feels right is my bed or silence. And yet when I'm sitting in that silence it feels like life is passing me by it just feels like i'm fucked either way and i know that's the darkness i know that's the darkness i know it's just warping reality and it'll it'll pass but when i'm in it it's just so exhausting and if anybody is out there and you're feeling like i do i hope you know that you're not alone and it can't get better and thanks for listening everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful fucked, 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 fucked up in some weird <laughs> ways bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird
2: ways